Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for revealing your great love for us, for revealing the true story of the world, for revealing the Savior for our sins. We pray that you would meet us now as we come to hear from you, that you would strengthen our faith, you would bring us to faith, and you would be glorified in our midst. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Dorothy Sayers, the famous author, wrote the detective series, The Lord Peter Whimsey Chronicles. And famously, uh, it's said that she so fell in love with her main character, Lord Peter Whimsey, that she actually wrote herself into the story as Harriet Vane. She loved her creation so much that she actually put herself into it. Uh, Stan Lee does a similar thing in the Marvel movies, right? Stan Lee's in like all the, was in all the Marvel, Marvel movies before he passed away. That's a, that's a helpful way of thinking about what we're talking about this morning, what we're celebrating this weekend as we talk about the incarnation, the coming in of Jesus, coming into our world, coming in as a human being to be the Savior that we needed. God loved us so much that he wrote himself into the story so that he could be the Savior that we needed. And that's what we need a Savior, right? Matthew uh, verse 21, it says that Jesus, his name shall be called Jesus because he came to save his people from their sins. And, and we, needed, we needed a savior who was up to the task. We needed one who was both God and man, Jesus Christ, the incarnate son of God. So we needed a savior and only the God man could do it. As we look at this passage, we, we see that that's how Jesus is revealed to us, as the God-man. Verse, uh, in, as we look at the, the pregnancy of Mary and Jesus' birth, verse 18, he's, it just says there, there was a child in her womb, right? He was born, verse 18. He was a son, verse 21. The Gospels, as we read them, we find out that Jesus ate and drank and slept and grieved and prayed and did all manner of things that normal human beings do. He was fully human. And yet, he was fully human without being corrupted in any way. Verse 18 and verse 20, it talks about the Holy Spirit, the conception by the Holy Spirit, that this wasn't a natural conception, it was a supernatural conception. And just as God in Genesis 2 breathed life into Adam's nostrils, so the Holy Spirit breathed life into the womb of Mary, and there was a second Adam conceived in her womb. And so Jesus is fully man and yet fully man, like us in every way, but without sin. As Hebrew 14, uh, Hebrews 4.15 says, We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who is in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So Jesus is the man, capital M, but he's also the God-man. He's fully God. You know, he became human without ever ceasing to be God. He came to become human because only as the God-man could he be the Savior. He's the Son of God. That was what we saw in our Galatians reading. Paul said in 4.4, when the fullness of time had come, God sent his Son. And in our gospel, they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. Jesus, in coming into our world, didn't cease to be God, but he was God in our world, the God-man for our sake. The church father, Gregory of Nazianzus, he lived in the fourth century, and he's, he's one of the, 
the early church fathers who helped us clarify how we should speak of Jesus based on what scripture says. Listen to this, he says, he was begotten, yet he was already begotten. He was begotten of a woman, and yet he had already been begotten of his father, and yet she was a virgin. That it was from a woman makes him human, and that she was a virgin makes it divine. On earth he had no father, but in heaven he had no mother. All this is part of his Godhead. Jesus is the God-man. I used to teach religious, uh, religious studies at Valencia College down in Orlando. Did it for like a year and a half. And one time a student came to me and said, one of the other professors in the humanities department who also taught religious studies told him that, Je- that Christians believe Jesus was half God and half man, like 50-50. And I was like, well, he might believe that, but that's not what Christians believe, right? He's, Jesus is not some sort of like divine human salad dressing where he's shaken up and the oil and the vinegar mix together and turn into something else. He is 100% God and 100% human. And, and the whole story, the whole Our whole salvation hangs on that, that mystery of the incarnation. The scriptures, the fathers, the creeds teach us he is fully God, fully man, two natures, one person, Jesus Christ, the God-man. And that's really good news for us because it's only the God-man who can save us. He's the hero we needed, to use another comic book reference. He's the hero we needed. Only the God-man, the incarnate son, could save us Matthew 1, 21, that he was going to save his people from their sins. Now, why does it matter that he's both fully human and fully divine? Well, he could only save us in a couple of senses, uh, only save us from our sins if he's got the God-man in a couple of different senses. One is he could only pay the penalty of our sins if he was fully human and fully divine. Right? He had to be human to take the judgment for human sin. It wouldn't make any sense for God to... Uh, to punish sin uh, apart from it being a human being. He, he was condemned for our sins because he became human like us. He was in the flesh like us. And that's the story the Bible tells us, is that every single human being is corrupted by sin. That we're all, we all have this disease of sin that makes us prideful and selfish and self-centered, and we don't love God, and we don't love our neighbor as ourselves. And we're, and we're it's like our nature is corrupted and also we're con- condemned by our choices. And so to, to save humans in that state, God became a human. A human was an appropriate sacrifice. And yet it wasn't a sufficient sacrifice. Because how could one human pay for the sins of the whole world? Think about, I mean, how many people live in the world today? Over 7 billion people and then extend that back into history backwards and into the future forwards and think of the weight of human sin. The debt of human sin is infinite. We've sinned against a holy God, a perfectly holy God, a perfectly loving God, a perfectly good God. We've rejected him and said, no, we'd rather be our own lords. So the weight of our sin is infinite. And so we needed one who could, whose, whose death would be of infinite value and worth. Jesus, the God-man. Isn't this what 1 John 2, 1 and 2 say? We actually, this is one of our comfortable words. After uh, the priest pronounces absolution over, over us, this is one of the scriptures that we often hear. If anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, 
and not ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Jesus' sacrifice is so valuable as the God-man. It's so valuable that it's sufficient for the whole world. Not only the whole world right now, but the whole world always. And whoever believes in him, whoever receives him by faith is forgiven once and for all. You know, you, never, you don't go into a state of being forgiven and then fall back out of it. If you put your trust in Jesus and you're born again, as we talked about on Christmas Eve, then you have received this incredible gift of forgiveness through the life and death and resurrection of the God-man. You know that old, that Charles Wesley hymn, and can it be that I should gain an interest in my Savior's blood? Died he for me who caused him pain, for me who him to death pursued. Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? The God-man came to save us. He was the only one who could do it. He paid the penalty of our sins. And there's another sense in which he saves us from our sins, that that in coming in the flesh, Jesus reveals to us the true story of the world. You know, we're, this world is full of suffering and abuse and oppression, and, and there's, there's darkness speckled throughout the whole thing in all of our lives. And we, we live enslaved to this self-centered way of living and enslaved to a, to a life without hope apart from the grace of God. We're kind of trapped in our own stories of failure and abuse and discontentment. And so Jesus comes in and he says, actually, you're part of this beautiful story that God is working of redemption. You know, think of the people of Israel. Think of Mary when, when the angel came to her. The people of Israel were in exile, in a sense. They, yeah, they lived in the land, but they didn't rule themselves. There was, no David, there was no son of David on the throne. God's glory, having left the presence, uh, the Holy of Holies in, in Ezekiel, never returned when they rebuilt the temple. And so they're in exile. They're in a a position of longing, of waiting, of sorrow, of anguish, of hurt. Think about how brutal the Romans must have been as governors. They were subject to all manner of indignity and injustice. But then the God-man came. And as insane as it is, it says in verse 22, all this took place. The, The foretelling of the Savior to be born of a virgin, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. It isn't just that Isaiah predicted in advance what was going to happen. It's that this was going to happen all along. God was revealing the true story of the world. That somehow the whole story of Israel, even the exile, even all of the darkest parts were part of God writing his story of redemption in the world. The God-man would come to be the savior. That was the plan. That's plan A. As Manny entered into the depths of our brokenness, into the depths of grief and sorrow and abuse and injustice and sin, and as God, he lifted us, our stories, our broken stories, up into the beautiful story that God is writing for the world. Somehow even the exile, somehow even our suffering is part of it. In Harry Potter, the half-blood prince, Dumbledore, you might remember this, this story. Dumbledore is surrounded by his enemies, and Dumbledore says, Severus, please. And Severus Snape, who we've been wondering about this whole time, like whose side is he really on, he, he kills Dumbledore. 
And so we finally know, we know, okay, Severus is, yes, we thought he was a bad guy, we were pretty sure he's a bad guy, he's definitely a bad guy. But then in the next book, we find out when Severus dies, and Harry puts Severus's memories into the magical pensive, which lets him see what was really going on back then, we find out that Dumbledore had been slowly, slowly dying of a curse, and that Dumbledore himself had made Snape promise that when the moment came, he would kill him. And so this knowledge completely shapes Harry's understanding of Snape, completely reshapes his understanding of that tragic moment. Actually, Snape had been keeping his promise. He had been being faithful to Dumbledore. He had always been a faithful servant of Dumbledore. And that whole tragic event took on new meaning in the scope of the wider story. I know that's a silly analogy. But if we will let it, the story of Jesus will completely reshape all of the worst hurts in our lives. All of the sin, all of the sorrow, all of the abuse, the injustice, all of the longing can be woven into this tapestry that God is making. Through faith in Jesus, our sorrows and sufferings actually become places where God brings comfort and God brings healing, and God shows his power, and God shows up in our midst. And suddenly his goodness reshapes what we thought we knew. And the God-man saves us from a life without hope. And finally, Jesus came, the God-man came to save us from our sins in the sense that he came to make us children of God. Isn't that what Paul said in Galatians 4, 4 through 7? But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, to die for sins, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. As God, Jesus has access to the very inner life of the Trinity. He has access to God. He doesn't need to cajole God. He's one with his Father from eternity to eternity. And as man, he opens the door for other human beings to come into that very relationship with God, that we are somehow taken up into the divine blessedness of who God is, that infinite glory and love and holiness that we talked about before. We're actually brought into that through the God-man, Jesus. We are adopted as sons. We're brought into the, the house that isn't ours, right? We were kicked out of the house because of our sin, and Jesus brings us back in. Jesus has made us the children of God through faith. When I was about 13, my parents were, were divorced when I was, I don't know, six or seven, but when I was 13, they, they got together to sit me down to tell me something, and I knew this must have been life-changing because they never were on the same page ever about anything. And they sat me down and they said, the man that you know as your father, you've always known as your father, is actually not your biological father. And they just kind of like let that sink in for a minute. And my mom, who herself was adopted, she said, do you want to know anything about him? Do you want to know, you want to know his name? Do you want to meet him? Do you want to reach out to him? Anything like that. 
And I, I think mostly from like feeling wounded and, and probably some pride, I said, if he doesn't want to know me, why would I want to know him? Why would I want any other father than the one I already have? The one who chose to be my father. Isn't that a beautiful picture, picture of adoption? When, when Paul talks about adoption, Maybe that language is so familiar, but that's what he's saying. He's saying, God chose you to be his son. God chose you to be his daughter. And he did everything that he could possibly do to make it so by sending his own son, the God-man, to be the Savior. So through Jesus Christ, the God-man, we have the penalty of our sins has been taken away. We no longer live enslaved to the world, the flesh, and the devil. We have a story that is full of hope, and we have been given access to God. We are adopted as his children, and we get to live, as one of my favorite writers said, in the happy land of the Trinity. Amen. Would you pray with me? Fill our stories with hope.